You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hi, everyone. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. At Messy Jesus Business, we explore how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. And now on to our guest. Dr. C. Vanessa White is an Associate Professor of Spirituality and Ministry at Catholic Theological Union in Chicago, and Associate Director of the Master of Theology program at Xavier University of Louisiana. A professed secular Franciscan for more than 30 years, her articles and essays have appeared in New Theology Review, U.S. Catholic, America, National Catholic Reporter, and CNN.org. She is co-editor of the book, Songs of Our Hearts and Meditation of Our Souls, Prayers for Black Catholics. She is a contributor to the Black Catholic Studies Reader and to the Wisdom Commentary Series Volume on Luke 1 through 9. She is an advisor for the Fetzer Institute Study of Spirituality in the Americas, published in 2020, as well as a consultant to the USCCB's Subcommittee on Certification for Ecclesial Ministry. A former convener for the Black Catholic Theological Symposium, Dr. White considers herself a womanist practical theologian. Her research is focused on the intersections of spirituality and praxis and is attentive to issues of discernment, health, women's spirituality, diversity and intercultural dialogue, leadership development, spiritual and ministry formation, spiritual practices, lay ministry, adult faith formation, and issues pertinent to the life of Black Catholics. In this episode of Messy Jesus Business, Dr. C. Vanessa White and I talk about how she came to know her call to ministry and began to teach. We discuss what healthy spirituality looks like and the value of knowing who one is so we can offer our authentic selves. We contemplate the tools we have to reach others and build relationship, and we consider the mess of ministry, in particular, when it comes to balancing care for our families and ourselves. Enjoy. Well, welcome Dr. C. Vanessa White to Messy Jesus Business. Hello, it's good to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have a conversation with you in this sort of, in this venue. I've known you for several years. I was privileged to have you as a professor when I was a student at Catholic Theological Union, where you are now teaching and have been for many years. Many and years, yes. Yeah. Your professional name is Dr. C. Vanessa White, and the C matters. Could you tell us that story of what why the C before Vanessa? Okay, my great-grandfather was a minister. He was uh, a Methodist minister. He traveled all across uh, the country. And when he came across interesting names, he named his children interesting names. And so he had, he had 16 children. So he, a lot of interesting names. So I had 
in Aunt Iantha. I had a Xenifer uh, uncle, a Xenifer. I had a uncle Cortilio, all these different names. But one of his daughters, he named Caritha, which is my grandmother. Mm. And so Caritha is my uh, maternal grandmother's name. And when before I was born, my mother was wanted me named Vanessa. And my aunt, my aunt Clara Abella, who's uh, one of the daughters of my uh, great grandfather, wanted me named Caritha after her sister who had passed, Caritha. So my mother being a very good daughter, uh, niece and whatever named me Caritha Vanessa, but no one ever called me Caritha. Everyone called me Vanessa. Mm. And I didn't know I was Caritha until I was in the second grade. And uh, that's a whole story on its, itself. But I was Caritha then through all elementary school and high school. And, but when I got into college, I became Vanessa. I was Vanessa. When I began in ministry, it was kind of like that conversion of Paul, you know, Saul and Paul, you know, mm. the change of the name. And my grandfather and that side of my family are a family of ministers. So there's lots of different ministers on that side of the family. And I wanted to honor their service and their ministry and also honor my ancestors because I am here because of my ancestors and I'm journeying with their prayers. And so that's why it's see Vanessa White to remind me of my grandmother and all those ancestors who were in ministry. Now, the interesting thing is, is that earlier in history, all the ministers were men. Today, presently, the uh, ministers are women. So hmm. I have cousins who are ministers. I have a uh, from different religious traditions. I have a Buddhist cousin who, who has taught at the seminaries and does interreligious work. I have a non-denominational cousin uh, who also is in ministry. So we're continuing that legacy. So the C reminds me of the legacy of my ancestors. I love that you're a part of a family of faith and, and that you're all just ministering in so many different ways. How about you? When did you feel the call to ministry and the theology and, and becoming a professor and all the things that you are now? How did, how did you become who you are today and sharing your gifts with God and the church in the way that you are? I really say to listen to children and listen to their experience. I actually feel that God called me to ministry when I was about five or six years old. I would have dreams, and these dreams had very religious significance. Uh, one particular dream was that my mother wanted me to start, well, the reality is my mother wanted me to uh, start saying the Lord's Prayer, and I as a young child start saying, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That was my prayer. I was not saying the Lord's prayer. I was a very stubborn child. And then one night I went to, uh, I went to sleep and I had this dream and this dream was of uh, Jesus on a table hmm. and there was all this blood and he was dying. Our family was not Catholic at this time. I, I truly believe that as I look at that dream now, it was the sacrifice of Jesus on the altar, the Eucharist. But as a child, I can't interpret that. I interpreted that Jesus, that God was telling me that if you don't learn the Lord's prayer, you're going to end up just like him. <laughs> <laughs> and I started saying the Lord's prayer the next day. I learned that. Like, <laughs> but <laughs> but I, you know, Paul talks about that maturity of, right. <laughs> so I truly believe, but, but I have a love of Eucharist. I have this really love of Eucharist mm. and actually 
um, my mother was a spiritual seeker. And when my father passed away, when I was young, my mother remarried and remarried a Catholic. Mm. And when she married uh, a Catholic, all the children became Catholic. So that's how we became Catholic, put in Catholic school. Catholicism stuck with me. I can remember going back to that Eucharist story. I'm in uh, mass 16 years old and I'm all bored. This is boring, boring, boring. I'm <laughs> so bored. This is so bored. And I'm just, I'm just sitting here. I can remember so bored. And this voice clearly said, then get involved. Oh, wow. Then get involved. And uh, because I love to read and because I was a curious child, I asked to become a lector. I became a lector. So my earliest uh, ministerial experience is as a lector at 16 years old. Mm. I am 66 years old now. Huh. And so that so the, uh, 50 years ago, as a 16 years old, uh-oh, is when that seed uh, was planted in me in mass. Because I talk, I did my doctoral research on the fact of how are there aspects of the mass that can connect with a person's journey and discernment. Oh, and yeah. so- and so for me, it became because it's a reality that I was at mass. I was open to the spirit at mass mm. and I became, got involved. When I went to college, I was involved in Catholic campus ministry. The only, I was the only black student at Catholic campus ministry at Illinois State University. But I was very active in Catholic campus ministry. When I left, I was involved in, you know, volunteer ministry, but professional ministry happened when I had a very car, bad car accident. Mm. And after the car accident, I, I should have died. The car was total wreck, but I didn't. And I decided to use the money from the car uh, that I got from the car accident, because it wasn't my fault. I got money from it, not to buy another car, but to go to Israel. Cause I was gonna thank Jesus in Israel <laughs> where he was born, that I was alive. And uh, friends had told me, my, some of my Franciscan friends had told me that if you, go to Israel, you're going to come back changed. And I was like, oh yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I went to Israel and I had a profound religious experience, came back restless, mm. got a spiritual director and through the course of journey with a spiritual director for the next two years, that spiritual director thought I had a call to ministry. So I did lay volunteer service. So I decided to be a lay volunteer for, uh, for a year to see if ministry was what was something that I was interested in. From that point, to the present, I never had to look for a job. Wow. It was always that I was invited to do something. I really believe in the invitation, inviting people. But I was invited after my year of service with the Claritian uh, Volunteers and Lay Missioners to become one of the directors of the Claritian Lay Volunteers and Missioners. Um, one of my volunteers went on to do ministry with the Christian Brothers in their retreat center. When I had that restlessness again, mm. I was um, I was invited to uh, join the staff of the Christian Brothers Retreat Center, and so I did that. I had a restlessness again; it was time to leave, and I did a, a year of I say lay of uh, a sabbatical year just to rest and uh, regroup and renew. And then I was invited to come to CTU and uh, become the director of the Augustus Tolton Pastoral Ministry Program which I, uh, I did. And then later the invitation to get involved in teaching. I always loved to teach. I, was, I used to teach. I used to have my dolls and the kids in the neighborhood as my students. <laughs> I did the same. So, I'm telling you, so it's always, so the Lord had already planted, planted not only in my heart 
to yeah. be a minister, but to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I went a complete circle before I came back to teaching. Wow. And so, wow. so I'm doing now what I love to do more than anything else. I have a heart and a passion for teaching and for journeying with my students and seeing the classroom as a transformative environment. Mm. You should not leave the way you entered. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah, and, and many of the people you're teaching now go on to become ministers, not only in the Catholic church, but mostly Catholic ministers, lay ministers and parishes yes. and other ministries, other chaplains, things like that. But, and also some of them become ordained priests. A lot of people who have never been to Catholic seminary are probably very curious about how that works. And, and like what you as, as a person who's involved in the formation of ministers, what you see as the core elements of that formation and how you're hoping to really shape and transform. And, and you know, what, what, what are you working toward? What are the objectives there in, in creating effective ministers? Well, I would say the core is to help to open their hearts, uh, open their hearts, uh, their minds and their spirits. And as they're journeying, to help instill in them those practices, those skills that they would need to sustain themselves in the ministry. Most people, when they're, when they're called, called and they come to CTU, they're very excited about doing the work, about the study, and they will deny their bodies and the care of their bodies and their selves to get the, uh, the work done, to get that A or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so one of the things that I say is that as they're even in the school of theology, the graduate school of theology and ministry, they're already developing unhealthy habits that when they go out into ministry, they'll continue those unhealthy habits. And that's why you have ministers that are burnt out, that are even laid out, you know, that don't even make it, uh, you know, that may die early and are stressed out and all these things that uh, there's this pastoral hostility. I remember as a young adult in ministry, I would gather with other ministers and we'd have meetings and all it would be about is complaining, complaining, complaining. And the focus was on what's the negative and whatever. That is not going to sustain you in ministry. You need to change your focus change, change your focus. I say, what you focus on is what you give power to. Mm. What you focus on is what you give power to. So how can I, as they are here at the School of Theology and Ministry, help them to develop practices that will help them to remain focused on the mission of Jesus Christ, on the work that they're called to do, and in the process to be rooted in the greatest commandment of love God, neighbor, as yourself. And so all of my classes, there's a component on spiritual practice and engagement in spiritual practices that will help to sustain you. The practice of care for the body, of Sabbath rest, of saying yes and saying no, the spiritual practice of engagement in community, just a variety of different practices that I have students of being still. How do I help my students engage in telling their stories? Because many times we're so busy, 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 busy. We don't have time to tell our stories. Hmm. We don't even share stories. I remember 
and I was doing something with the faculty, a, a seminar with the faculty. The seminar was on sharing what I, I had done on my sabbatical and some other things. And I was going to begin the, uh, my presentation with them sharing a story about their name mm. and getting the pairs and whatever. And I told another colleague this, and the colleague said, this is not gonna work with the faculty. This, I'm telling you, it's not gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so the naysayer, not gonna work, not gonna work. And I, I had confidence, one, I had confidence in what the Lord had planted in my heart. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that for someone else, this may not work, but this is uh, Dr. C. Vanessa White. What am I tell telling you? <laughs> And I, so I had this confidence. And so I had them, I had them paired them up and I told, and I gave them the story about my name and I told them, you know, um, I want you to share the story of your name. It could be your, your given name. It could be your nickname. It could be whatever, but tell a story. And even if you don't have a story around your name, that's a story. So just tell that. Do you know that the people you thought would not share, you know, were just, they, this was like their opportunity to really share. And they, and I paired them in twos pairs you know this wasn't threatening just another person and it was hard I had to start singing hush somebody's calling my name to get on the table. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was amazing but they did it yeah um they reconnected with something that is a, a part of our human condition of telling your story hmm. yeah. and many times we we forget those things we let those things go hmm. as we're journeying in uh, the ministry and then we come to a point in the ministry where we have a roadblock, where there's a dryness. I had it myself. You know, the reason I do all this because I had it myself. There was a time earlier in my ministry where I was working, 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 working so much. And I would, and all I was doing is working, working. I had disconnected with the care of my body. Mm -hmm. I was probably at one of my most unhealthiest. I was not taking uh, time off. I was always working. And it got so bad that when the phone would ring, and these are the uh, people I'm supposed to be ministering to, my first thought would be, what, do, excuse my expression, what do those damn blah, 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 blah want now? Oh dear, right. And so the thing is, if in ministry, that is what you're thinking about the people you are ministering to, that's a time to check yourself. Right. And to see that you have gone off center. Mm -hmm. And I had to, over the next few years, there was a journey in coming back and realizing I had let things go. I had let go doing those things that I enjoy mm -hmm. of taking time of rest of gratitude and having an attitude of gratitude. Mm -hmm. People say to me, now I see to you, you always smile and you always seem to be in a good mood. Well, let me tell you, I make a choice every day. Mm -hmm. I make a choice every day. And that's the thing to be mindful of and, and that the spiritual life is a, a journey in discipline and making choices. And you can make choices that are life-giving or you can make choices that take the sap you of your life. Yeah. Amen. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I needed to hear all this. <laughs> and I have a feeling that many of our listeners are going to as well. And I, I suspect many of them will be surprised because they probably thought you were going to speak about the information and the ideas and the dogma and the doctrine that they must be convinced of before they could graduate from seminary. But no, what you're talking about is so human. It's so basic. Like 
we need to be balanced. We need to love our bodies, our minds, our spirits, just as Jesus taught us to in the great commandment. And this is central to the work of being an effective minister is tending to ourselves and caring for ourselves, knowing boundaries, knowing balance, knowing, knowing truly like who we are and how to honor who we, who are, we are meant to be. as as a, as a minister and just, or as a Christian in general. That's so true. And that's the thing. See the student who's at CTU already sees the value of taking courses in ethics and scripture and in theology, systematic theology and uh, cross-cultural studies. They already have that understanding and they uh, think that's important. They minimize the journey in the spiritual life. Mm. And one of the things that, as I was a professor there, that I helped to initiate, and it's now rooted in the curriculum, was that students, all ministerial students, had to take a spirituality class, introductory spirituality class. Because when I came uh, at CTU, it was not required. You Mm. take all these other courses, but you didn't take a spirituality class. And I can remember when I'd have some classes, students would say, oh, I wish I had this in some of my other classes. I wish we took some time to really pray and really do some of this other stuff. And I was like, this should be foundational in all classes, that there should be attention from the very beginning in your spiritual life, not just as an intellectual interest exercise, because I do the historical critical work in my spirituality classes. They're learning about different charisms. They're learning about uh, uh, the importance of Mary in our faith you know this so they're learning about prayer they're learning all of that yeah but they're also but besides the intellectual aspect the academic intellectual aspect of spirituality they're also learning the practice and how to engage in it uh and how that will help them in the journey because as you know and this is what i'm saying as you know in any class if you remember one or two things from that class after you graduated from uh, a graduate school, then that was a good class. You're not going to remember all this other stuff. You're going to know the resources. You're going to know which book to pull off the shelf, right? Where to go for nothing, or where to go on internet to find that. But you're not going to remember all the, those things. But I instill in them from a feeling, um, an emotional, and a, a psychological level, a sense that the care of the body, how I view the world as sacred, and how I spend time in doing that will stay with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that what a healthy spirituality is? Is like the attentiveness to the sacredness of the world? I really do believe so. I really, that when we disconnect from that, when we disconnect from the sacred, from the sense of sacredness, from the sense of awe, mm. that, and that the sense of this is gift. Mm. When we disconnect, we can also disconnect from our hope. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, let me uh, go back and say, this is not discounting that there is suffering in the world. We journey uh, in the Paschal mystery. So there is suffering, death, but then there's resurrection. Mm-hmm. And that's what to uh, be fixed on. Yes, there is the suffering. And yes, you have to journey through it. But if you are not rooted in your spiritual life, if you are not open to allowing the spirit of God to inflame you, to strengthen you, to give you what you need, you're not going to be able to address the sufferings in the world or to help to move people in in hope. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and one of the things I'm thinking about is just, as you know, before I started podcasting and doing, doing what I'm doing now, <laughs> I was uh, teaching theology in, in high schools. And then I worked at a spirituality center and le- was leading retreats. And, mm-hmm. and, and now I'm a spiritual director along with the other hats that I wear. One of the things that I'm just aware of, you know, and I also like over the years was a catechist in different parishes as well. And so much of the curriculum, the faith formation curriculum that is utilized in Catholic parishes, Catholic schools is really about the formation of the mind. And Mm -hmm. it's about convincing children and, and teens of of our dogmas and our beliefs, you know, which, you know, there's a value. They need to understand why we think and do what we're doing and um, where our traditions come from, where they're rooted in. Absolutely. However, I don't think I really heard the word spirituality and started Mm -hmm. to ponder it until I was an adult. Mm -hmm. And, and I suspect that there's a lot of confusion among the common Christians, Catholics, what's the difference between religion and spirituality and why do they both matter? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, religion and the development of religion was about answering life's deep questions. Yeah. Like, you know, why is there death, you know, uh, is one. And so um, religion has a particular function. Mm. It's more objective. Spirituality, really spirituality is about life in the spirit. The understanding, if you think about Western construct, our Western world is about trying to be in control of something. We want to be in control. Mm. We want to, we got to get a handle on it. There's lots of books on theology because people think they know God. They get a handle on God. You know, all, these, <laughs> I know. all these books are all these books are about you know are trying to understand who God is. And so all these books <laughs> about God, and and then we get to the Jesus part. You know, Jesus, uh, uh, the Redeemer, uh, Christ. This because we've got the gospel. So people are writing all these books about Jesus. Mm-hmm. The third person in the Trinity, the spirit, is the one that they're least uh, writings on. Huh. Because the spirit, spirit will go where the spirit will. You cannot box in the spirit. You cannot control the spirit. So Western thought and theology has a suspicion about that which they cannot control. Mm. You have to allow yourself to be open to the spirit and allow the spirit to work through you. Well, that's the resistance right there uh, for folks particularly in the United States of America, you're going to tell me, you know, someone's going to control me. And so there's even a suspicion when someone says I'm led by the spirit. Yeah. yeah. I'm spirit filled. But in black religious tradition, Mm -hmm. if it was not for the spirit of God being with us, we would not have survived enslavement, oppression, Jim Crow laws, segregation, all those, all those isms till today that for black people, we are comfortable talking about the spirit. Because for Black people in the United States, we've never been in control. So we might as well allow the spirit, that which is good to control us rather than all this other stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's why, you know, growing up in in a little town in Iowa, I I used to think that Catholics, like, not just, for me, it wasn't just that the mass was boring, but it was like, these people are just going through the motions here. Do they, do they have any like sense of the spirit? And I just, I was, you know, this unusual kid. Cause I had somehow the spirit got a hold of me pretty early on. And 
I feel more alive and I'm more at home even in black Catholic spaces than I do in white Catholic spaces, but I am obviously a white right, Catholic. Because just in looking at that, and then also in understanding, see, this is going back to your uh, a reflection you had about religious education. Yeah. I was trained in my young adult years as a catechist. I went through catechist training and also got certified uh, in training catechists. But I went through catechist training at the Institute for Black Catholic Studies at Xavier University of Louisiana. Okay. And one of the things I, I, that stays with me to this day is that catechis, uh, uh, catechesis is about knowing Jesus for yourself. Mm. It's not about the doctor. A religious education is about learning all these doctrinal uh, things and learning about um, the dogma and learning you know, the creed. But catechesis is about knowing Jesus for yourself. And so if you must be able to create within that classroom environment, an environment where that child, where that young uh, person can begin to know Jesus for themselves. Mm. And that's what is missing from many of our religious education programs. So that is why when they become adults, uh, they go and look for something else. They leave the Catholic because you've never given them the j- opportunity to know Jesus for themselves. So they will go searching for Jesus, mm. searching for the spirit someplace else. Mm. Those of us that are adult Christians that take this seriously <laughs> and love Jesus mm-hmm. and love the spirit. Mm-hmm. What, what are your like tips, your ideas, suggestions about how we can help foster a church that's more alive with, with helping people to love and know Jesus and be in touch with the spirit? You have to tell your story. Yeah. Back you have to give testimony. So that people say, I want some of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want some of that, that this, that sister Julia got, I want some of that. <laughs> I, I want to come and find some of that. But we're very hesitant as Catholics. We're very hesitant about sharing our stories, about telling our faith stories. My brothers and sisters, my cousins in other faith traditions will talk about their faith, will uh, speak about their encounter. As Catholics, one, we don't really know our faith. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask people, why they make the sign across? I don't know. <laughs> How do you dip your finger in the holy water? I don't know. <laughs> I've just been doing it. One of the things that I began doing as a young adult mm-hmm. was begin to learn about my faith. Mm. and know know my faith I remember now this is interesting story okay so I'm at the Institute for Black Catholic Studies and I'm at mass one Sunday and at this mass we had the minister Louis Farrakhan for those who don't know Louis Farrakhan back in the 80s and 90s he was head of the the Nation of Islam which is um, an offshoot um, black uh, black Muslims but that's the best way I can describe it. Uh, Malcolm X was one of, uh, was with that group for a while. So anyway, I'm at this mass and he was asked, he was a guest speaker. Now I'm telling you one thing, Louis Farrakhan quote the scriptures. I was like, oh my goodness, he quotes, but that's not the story. I was sitting next to a follower of the nation of Islam because he, he comes with um, his followers. And so a person was sitting next to me and the person next to me is going to try to convince me why I should not be Christian Catholic. And right there, white man's religion was saying all this stuff. If I did not, if I had not, one, if I had not gone to the Institute for Black Catholic Studies and had a Father Cyprian Davis, who taught the course, the history of Black Catholics in the United States, I would not have been able to answer this person. But this person was, you know, saying how white man's religion and all this. And I said, um, well, the Ethiopian uh, eunuch 
was um, was one of the first people who was uh, baptized in Africa, that the early church was birthed out of Africa. Two of the, the schools came out of Africa. And I just was started talking all this stuff. He shut his mouth. He was like, I, there's nothing I can say to her because she already knows her faith. But I knew, but I knew because I had done my, I knew my faith and it spoke to me as a black person. So there was that relationship I had with my faith. I mean, from my particular context. Mm-hmm. And so even as we teach religious education and helping a person know Jesus for themselves, we have to teach being mindful of that student's context. Mm-hmm. And how will this story of faith have meaning for this student? Mm-hmm. Example, when I uh, would do high school retreats, one of the stories that came up would be the wedding at Cana because we'd have mass and that story would come up. And so I would do a storytelling. Jesus went to a party. Now, you know, you know how you are. You go to parties. Last thing you, um, you ain't going to get to the party early. You're going to get to a party while it's going. After it starts going, they're like, kids are like, yeah, yeah, you know. And I said, and the last person you want to see at that party, who is the last person you want to see at a party with your, with your crew? Your mama. <laughs> mama showing up at the, at the party. Now, mama over there, she's bragging about you. She's just bragging about you. And, and you have a good time with your friends. And then your mama come over there and says, they're out of wine. I want you to make some more wine. Well, what did Jesus do? He mouths off. Yeah. Woman, it's not my time. <laughs> right. Now, do with me. What's that do with me? Right. It's not my time. What's that do with me? And so you know how mamas are, and particularly, uh, as I say, you know how black mamas are. All we have to do is give you a look. You better do it. The next thing you know in that scripture, what's happening? He is doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And she is and she is proud of him and she nudged him along and helped him to do his first big miracle. Yes. Right. Sometimes we need that person to nudge us along to help us do that which is which we can already do. Mhm. Students can relate to that. Isn't that the wedding at Cana story? Wow. But you spoke to uh spoke to them in a language that they could understand and you tell a story. Yes. Not like, okay, let's open our Bibles to page right. 72. <laughs> we don't know do. how to say these old right. words. So let's just uh, right. all zoned out. Right, right, right. But we have to, but we have to do our work yeah. as, as educators. Mm-hmm. We have to do our work mm-hmm. to be able to look at um, those tenets of our faith and shape them in a way that they can understand. Mark 4, 33, Jesus spoke in a language they could understand. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's the role of the catechist. That's the role of the educator. Yeah. You know, and as you say all this, what's coming to mind for me is how I've experienced this off and on. And, you know, I've lived in lots of different places. Some parishes really are alive. Like they they have people who are in, organized in small groups and they're sharing their faith. They're studying the Bible together. They're praying together. They're supporting one another. They're celebrating life together. And, and that seems to me to make up a really healthy parish because when people come to that parish, they're part of a community. And our world today where like less people, unfortunately, are turning to parishes for spiritual nourishment and to find community. And, and a lot of people are kind of spiritually homeless and distrusting mm-hmm. of religion and, and institutions. That model can easily be 
imitated like no matter where we are like it's not that hard for us to be like hey friends you guys want to meet on a on a zoom call and tell our stories and hey let's let's have a little ice cream social or something like that and do that yes we can as i said jesus spoke in a language we can understand and we are today we have social media natives that's what we've grown up on internet and all these different things. And so instead of us uh, fighting against it, let's look at these different new ways of communicating and see how we can develop and uh, form community, because that is the important, we have to go back and look at what was the mission of Jesus. Jesus was about encountering people where they were. Mm -hmm. He encountered the woman at the well. He knew that's where she was going to go. And he knew she was going to be there when everybody else had left. Mm -hmm. And he was there. And so we need to encounter people where they are and then begin uh, that journey of relationship. Mm-hmm. It was Pope John Paul II who was talking about the new evangelization, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. like recognizing if people are online, use the use the tools online to to spread right. the good news. Yeah, right. And and Pope Francis talks a lot about encounter and just how we need to encounter people. But we have to we have to not be fearful. Mm-hmm. We also have to be open to allowing the Spirit to move in us. Mm, yes. Yes. And to trust the spirit, which is something we can't control. Now that's some messy business there, right? <laughs> the messy, that is the messy business. We cannot control the spirit. We may try and try, but we can, we can really not control the spirit. And I have found time and time again, when I've uh, let go and allowed the spirit to work within me, mm-hmm. the amazing things that will happen and that I will encounter. But it's when I've tried to force the spirit to work within my narrow confines, which, you know, spirit's like, "Uh, not today, not today. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Oh, goodness. So a little bit off topic here, but maybe not, is the question that I love to ask all my guests, uh, whereas Messy Jesus Business is exploring radical discipleship. What is discipleship for you? Discipleship two aspects of discipleship. Discipleship is understanding that there is continual conversion. This continual conversion into becoming who God is calling you to be. So God does not call you to be who you are not. God sees who you are and sees all these barriers that are in the way of your not being who you are. And what uh, discipleship is about becoming who you are in Christ. Mm-hmm. And part of that is not, it's not just about you and you and Jesus, but you and how you, uh, how that experience and that encounter with God allows you to go forth and, and encounter others and uh, be a person of action. Yeah. Yeah. So there is this service, you, know, you call it service, you call it action, advocacy, whatever. But it's about moving beyond yourself Mm. outward. Mm. Mm -hmm. Always being mindful that you are about doing the work of God. Yeah. Yeah. The mission. And the mission and understanding the mission by going back to uh, scripture, by going back to 
the gospels and understanding uh, who Jesus was. Jesus was about proclaiming the reign of God. Uh, Jesus was about, he was a person of hope. Mm. Yeah. And what is hope? Really? Really? Hard to ascribe hope. But hope is that which keeps you going. Mm. Hope is that which says that trouble don't last always. Mm. You know, in in the black tradition, we have that saying trouble don't last always. Mm. So you may be in the midst of trouble, but it don't last. Mm -hmm. And if you can just hold on, the Lord will pull you through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if you're an oppressed people, like, or if the circumstances are oppressive, like I'm just thinking about the, <laughs> the state of the world right now. Yes. We're doing the interview here today, January, 2022. And this COVID pandemic is like coming. It, it, we're in two years of it. It's really been heartbreaking and devastating. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a changed our whole reality and ways that we can be together. And, and we're all dealing now, I think, with grief and trauma because of it. And there's fatigue. There's right? real fatigue right now. Yeah. But yet mm-hmm. there's hope, really? right? And there's we hope. Do. There's hope. There's hope. But the thing is, what can overwhelm us is the fatigue. Yeah. And so it's even more important at this time to be engaged in spiritual practices and uh, taking that time. Let's just take a time to stop understanding be still and know that there is God Mm. and just breathe to take some time to enjoy life. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, before you used to go to movies and whatever, uh, you're not doing that anymore. It may be having a popcorn social on zoom and doing a movie viewing party with some of your other folks, but it's about understanding that we still need to do those things that help to give us life because our time is not God's time. We don't know how long this is going to last. This may be the reality forever. This may be the reality from this point forward. And we keep saying it's going to be over soon. It's going to be over soon. It may be about encountering this reality, but still seeing hope within this. It's Mm. allowed us to be in a different form of relationship with people. Mm. For some, it's allowed them to slow down. Mm -hmm. and to acknowledge the sacredness in in life Mm -hmm. and to be able to see I I do an exercise with students um, or with people sometime about uh, what you focus on and what what you give power to and I tell them look around the room and look at everything in this uh, in your particular room let's say that's blue and so people look around they say I see all this blue here blue jeans you know I I pick whatever color and people think about see everything in that room that's that's color and then I tell them Okay, now close your eyes and think about that color. Think about that color. Think about that color. Then I say, okay, what's red? They don't know what's red because they've been so busy focusing on the blue. And I said, you just had an experience of what God's grace is about. We are so busy focusing on the negative that we miss that God's grace is present in the midst of that. And we need to connect to that. That will help us journey through this. Uh, time and to continue praying Howard Thurman talks about prayer and says prayer doesn't change uh, it's not going to change the mind of God but prayer will change the prayer Mm. and he uses and he uses for example uh, the garden of Gethsemane when uh, Jesus was in the garden and asked for this cup to pass the cup Mm. didn't pass but Jesus was given what Jesus needed to be able to go make it through that Mm-hmm. 
and to fulfill his, uh, his mission. Yeah. What was it you said again? The hope for in the black community is trouble don't always last or trouble don't last always. When we think about having hope, trouble don't last always when it comes to this COVID pandemic. And you even said it may last forever. So maybe it's about in our prayer, in our spirituality, in our integration, in our attention, in our self-care, we're cultivating an ability to, to shift what we see as trouble. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's, and that's liberating and that's exciting. When the change comes, we adjusted to this reality two years ago. It, it felt oppressive, right? And it has felt oppressive right. because people continue to, to be sick and dying and weary. Right. And, yeah. and, and that helped us at that time. We're in a different time now. Yeah. And now we can be awake to like, wow, look at all the goodness and all the grace that's happening because of the way God is here with us in this, mm-hmm. in this mess. Yeah. 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 Yes. Amen. Okay. So one last question, what is messy about all this for you? I would say uh, for me right now, what is, uh, what is messy would be continuing to focus on hope because I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I am tired. It's very easy to say, oh, you don't need to do this. You don't need to read that reflection this morning, or you don't need to uh, listen to that song, you know, because I, I listen to music that helps me um, be focused, you know, just miss it for today. You know, you don't, you don't need to do that uh, today. Or uh, also uh, being messy is winning, no, knowing when to say yes and when to say no. Mm. Because of the fact that everything is on, you can do things on Zoom now. Yeah. And because that people know that I speak upon particular topics, I get a lot of invitations to, mm-hmm. uh, to speak because it's very easy. And the messiness is keeping this part of my life in balance with being a sister and a daughter in my other part of life and taking time to be with family because I live I live in a house with my sister and my mother we have a house Mm. and my mother's an an aging she's 88 years old Mm -hmm. and so the messiness is doing the work that God's calling me to do in this mission and in spirituality here the Catholic Theological Union and beyond and putting that in balance uh and caring for my family yeah and being a good daughter and a good sister, and also in really uh, caring for myself, still, you know, there's the tension that uh, I mean, there are times when I don't take care of myself. So for me, the messiness sometimes is all around uh, discipline. discipline. But discipline leads to freedom. See, that's what people don't realize. Discipline leads to freedom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And isn't it interesting how close discipline is connected to discipleship? Mm -hmm. There's a reason, right? There's a reason. We are are constantly students. We're constantly practicing. We're never going to get it right. We're never. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. Yeah. You can't, you can't get, uh, you can't get off. The only thing you can get off. And this is my last little plug is to take some Sabbath time, revive, renew. And so I'm ready to go back in and do yeah. Amen. Amen. Oh, Dr. White, thank you so much for coming to Messy Jesus Business. This oh, is- I'm so happy to be a part of I'm so happy to be a part now of the community of Messy Jesus. Yeah, good. 
<laughs> all right. Well, God bless you. And thanks for all you do and all you are. Um, if folks want to uh, follow your work, read your writing, uh, sign up for one of those Zoom lectures that you're doing, take one of your classes, stuff like that, how how would they find out about these these gems? Making sure they're on the CTU uh, website, the yeah, Catholic, Catholic Theological Union okay. website, and also Facebook page. But also for me, I have I'm on Twitter at C Vanessa White. Okay, that's my, that's my Twitter handle. Or you can email me at thewhite at ctu.edu. There you go. Yes. <laughs> That's very generous. Because I, do, because I do answer, I do answer emails. And yeah. I, I, I do respond to emails. So yeah, yeah you're email. wonderful. You're really a servant leader. And <laughs> thank I, you. I, except the day I take Sabbath. And you're gonna get a hold of me when I'm taking my Sabbath time. There you go. My spiritual director told me to put away on my uh email and so that's what i do now i do sometimes i will even say sabbath away i love it others to remind others to take their time away amen oh uh, okay we'll stay well and hope you to too. See you soon. peace blessings blessings to you thanks I invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. Whereas Dr. White and I spoke about the importance of living a life in the Spirit and trusting in the movements of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to pray for you today the prayer to the Holy Spirit. I invite you to close your eyes and breathe deeply and notice what you're feeling in your body and what's stirring in your mind. Take a few slow, deep breaths and open space in your heart and mind for the Holy Spirit to come and be with you, to be close to you, and to guide you. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Lord, by the light of the Holy Spirit, you have taught the hearts of your faithful. In the same Spirit, help us to relish what is right and always rejoice in your consolation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. That's it for this episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced and hosted by me, Sister Julia Walsh, and edited by Cherish Bedzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to mention our podcast to your friends and followers. And we'd love to have your support via Patreon. From the bottom of our hearts and the middle of the mess, thank you. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at 
www.fspa.org. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.